You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. I want to turn your attention tonight to book of John chapter number four. Book of John chapter number four and beginning at verse number 19. Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And in verse 19, the Bible says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither worship in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And with the help of the Lord tonight, I just want to preach to you tonight about true worship. True worship. One more time, could we pray that the Lord would help us tonight? In the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, for your presence. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit and your anointing. And I ask you tonight that you would help me, Lord, anoint my lips, God. And I pray that you would anoint our hearts, our minds, Lord, our ears, Lord, to hear and receive from your word, God. I pray, Lord, that you would have your way in this place. Let your spirit have liberty, God. Let your word have free course to do what you want to do. I pray it in the name of Jesus. And the church said amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. It has been said before that if you can speak three languages, then you are trilingual. If you can speak two languages, you are bilingual. And if you can only speak one language, then you are an American. And, and I am an American. But no matter what language it is that you speak in, in every language, it is the definition of each word that allows us to be able to communicate with each other. It is, whether it is the English language or any other, in every language, there are agreed upon meanings of every individual word. And without these agreed upon meanings, our speech would not be an effective way or useful for communication. Confusion arises when definitions become unclear and when words become arbitrary or relative in their meaning. That is when it becomes difficult to understand what is being communicated. And so here in John chapter 4, Jesus brings clarity to, to the idea and the understanding of worship. Speaking to this woman, and this woman, this Samaritan woman, she had recognized that there was something about this man, Jesus. And so she asked of him, and she said, I want to know, because at this time there was some contention, some debating going on, because the Samaritans worshipped in this mountain, but the Jews worshipped in Jerusalem. And so she asked him, she said, well, what's the answer here? Can you settle this debate? Can you settle this, what's going on here? And so Jesus, though, in his answer, he he. God gave some definition to what worship is and what worship is all about. And in his answer, he said, worship is not about location, but rather it was about the manner or the nature of their worship. And so Jesus made the, the statement, he, he made the statement, true worshipers. 
And so Christ automatically created a divide. Because if there is true, there is also false. If there is hot, there is cold. If there is light, there is dark. If there is right, there is wrong. By the existence of one, there is automatically the other. And so by establishing true worship, there is by default false worship. Worship is something that God has always been very specific about throughout Scripture. In Genesis, we find Cain and Abel. Abel offered the first of his flock, and God accepted Abel's worship. But Cain, whether out of convenience or pride, he offered the first of the fruit of the ground, and God rejected Cain's worship. The first time we see the word worship used in Scripture is when it was used by Abraham. He was about to obey a very specific and a very difficult command from God, which was, of course, to sacrifice his son. And so he was about to give up something that was very near and dear to him. He was about to make this great sacrifice. And before he did it, he turned to the men that were with him and he said, wait here. He said, I and the lad, we will go yonder and worship. There are many warnings contained in the Old Testament from God to His people about worship. Deuteronomy 11.16 says, Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. In Leviticus chapter 10, we read of Nadab and Abihu in which they offered up incense to the Lord in worship, but it was done with what the Bible calls strange fire. And this form of worship was so displeasing to the Lord that there they died. There is also great blessing in worship. We see in Psalm 5 and verse 7 says that, As for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. And verse 12 says, For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. Worship to God has always been something that is done on God's terms. It's never something that can be done on man's terms or it is not worship, but it is something that God has established in His Word. This is what it looks like to worship me. And so here in John 4, Christ has given us two requirements for true worship. The first being that God said, God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. I can still remember the night that God filled me with the gift of the Holy Ghost. It was in uh, our old church building there in Bellevue, Nebraska. And uh, the church there has since moved out of that building into a larger facility. And that building is now the Sunday school building. But that was where we were meeting. And I remember that it was a Sunday night I was nine years old, and we had an evangelist with us that night, and I don't remember who he was or what he preached about. I was trying to remember today, and the only thing I could remember from his message was he was at one point talking about winning souls, and he talked about teaching a Bible study to, to this guy on a boat. They would go fishing together, and the guy would try to splash water on his Bible study chart, and that's the only thing I can remember about his sermon. So that's what I remember from the message that God filled me with the Holy Ghost during. And so, but, but I remember I was, uh, didn't even make it up to the altar. I was sitting on the second pew. Uh, we had these old maroon colored pews, and I was sitting on this, the second pew there in the middle section. And, and I stood right there, and I, I lifted my hands, and I began to pray. 
And uh, I remember when I opened my eyes, there were all these people around me that I didn't even know they had come and started praying for me. But I was really happy, and they were really happy, and everybody was happy. And when I got home, I had to call some family, and I just wanted to tell everybody I got the Holy Ghost. And so that is a night that I do not believe I will ever forget. But even if, that, even if I forgot that night, and even if that night was totally wiped from my memory, there have been many nights since, and there have been many days and many mornings where God has filled me up again. There have been many moments, many mornings in the presence of God where His Spirit has come down and met me, and God has been with me. The book of Acts speaks often of different men whom the Bible says they were full of the Holy Ghost. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that the Holy Ghost is not just an event that I look back to on the timeline of my life, but I'm thankful that I can taste and see that the Lord is good and His mercies are new every morning. I don't just look back and celebrate that once upon a time there was a moment where God touched me. It's not just a monumental moment or an occasional experience, but I need the Spirit of God every day of my life. I don't know about you, but it is my desire that, Lord, I need you every day that I live. I need your anointing. I need your favor. I need your touch. I need your spirit. Book of Acts says that it is in him we live. It is in him we move. It is in him we have our being. I can't be satisfied just to look back on a moment when God blessed me with the Holy Ghost, but I need his spirit to lead me. I need his spirit to guide me. Jesus said that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. Paul wrote to the church, he said, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. The Bible says that a carnal mind is enmity with God. Flesh warreth against the Spirit. If I am carnal in my thinking, if I am carnal in my lifestyle, then I am not positioning myself to be in alignment with the Spirit of God. If the way that I view things is through a carnal mindset, then I am not aligning myself with the will of God for my life. The flesh does not it be in, it is not in agreement with the Spirit, but these two oppose each other. They are enmity with each other. See, whatever you worship, You exalt. That's what worship does. Worship exalts. And so we were all created to worship God. But if you choose not to worship God, you worship something. It's just in our nature who we are. We all worship something. God or something else. And when you worship God, it is an acknowledgement. It's coming to God in with acknowledging that there is a fear of God in my life. That Lord, I come to you with humility and I come to you with reverence acknowledging that you are God and I am not. I I exalt you in my life and I say, Lord, you are the first. You are my priority. You are the Lord over everything in my life. That's what worship does. But our flesh is full of pride. Our flesh is is just so very prideful and pride can manifest itself in so many different ways. I heard somebody say before that that pride can be, you know, I've got the nicest car that I'm real proud of and so I want to park it up front so everybody can see me in my nice car or the other side could be that my car is such a clunker that I park as far away as I can because I'm too prideful to let anybody see me. It, it can come and manifest itself in many different ways, but but pride does not want to acknowledge 
acknowledge that there is somebody else who is greater than I am. Pride does not want to recognize that God is in control and, and I am not. And pride does not want to see someone else exalted, but pride exalts itself. And pride boasts in self. And pride relies upon self. And pride is just all about self. And so and pride sometimes will cause us to be selective in our worship. I'll worship God in this way, but not in that way because I, I, there's just a little bit of pride there. And so in order to be a true worshiper, it requires of me that I lay aside my pride. In order for it to be true worship, it requires that self is laid aside. In order for it to be true worship, there's got to be some things that are laid upon the altar. There's got to be some things that are sacrificed and that die upon an altar so that I can acknowledge that there is a King of Kings and there is a Lord of Lords and His name is Jesus and He is on the throne and the whole earth is full of His glory. God is God and I am not. The Bible says that He resisted the proud but He gives grace unto the humble. If you want to enter into the presence of the Lord, there's only one way and that's with humility. It's a sacrificial worship that you have to give of yourself. Lay down your pride and enter into His presence. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, he said, Nicodemus, you got to be born again of the water and of the spirit. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. He said, you can't even see God's kingdom if you don't have God's spirit. That's why he said, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Flesh is flesh, and spirit is spirit. You must be born again. We need the spirit of God. And it is God's Spirit, the Bible says, that leads us and guides us into all truth, which is the second requirement that Christ gave us for worship. He said true worshipers worship in spirit, and they worship in truth. We live in a time in our secular culture in which it is heralded and lifted up as enlightened. We are all encouraged by our secular culture to speak our truth, that I'm going to speak my truth and you speak your truth. We are all on this journey called life, and on this journey we all have our own path, and we all have our own experience, and from this experience we all have our own idea, our own version of truth. Truth is relative to you, and it's relative to me and we can all just agree that that we'll tolerate and be happy with whatever everybody wants to label as truth. And perhaps to the flesh, this sounds like a pleasing or an enlightened idea. Perhaps this tickles the ears and, and sounds like something that is good. But I am weary of ways that seem right to the world because the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end of that way leads to death. See, sin has its pleasure for a season. And for a little while, everything can seem all right. For a little while, you can have sin in your life and it can seem okay. It may be a short season. It may be a longer season. But no matter how long that season is, when that season is over, when that time has passed, sin only produces one thing. 
Sin never produces life. It never produces peace. It never produces joy. But when it is finished, sin only brings forth death. And so I am weary of whatever is exalted in our culture as good. Because whatever seems right to a man, it may lead to death. I'm not interested in the opinions of man, but I want to know what thus saith the Lord. We, we are more advanced as a human race than we have ever been before. With all of our advances in technology, in the medical field, all the various areas of science, it is, it is truly remarkable some of the discoveries and inventions that have been created. The advances in artificial technology and the ability that they have to break down at a microscopic level and they can examine cells and DNA. And some of these advances, I'm, I'm almost weary of, of what it is creating in, in us and what it is allowing us to do. But, but it is truly a remarkable thing, all of these. It's certainly beyond my comprehension and understanding. But there is no advancement. There is no discovery. There is no medicine that can cure a sin-sick soul. <laughs> we try so hard in our flesh as humanity. We give it our very best to solve the issues that face us, but there is nothing that we can do as humanity to cure the ailment of sin. It doesn't matter what side of the issues you fall on. You could take away every gun or give everyone a gun, but it does not take away the wickedness in the heart that would cause a man to kill. You could take away all the money or give everyone money, but it does not take away greed. You could be open and accepting and tolerant of everything and everybody or nothing and nobody, but it does not solve the issue. You look at the suicide rate in this nation and it is not good. You see the world by wisdom knew not God, but rather it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God and how shall they hear without a preacher there is no substitute for the preaching of the word preaching is not just a motivational speech or an inspirational talk but it is the proclamation of the word it is the declaration of truth and when we gather together in this house we are not just an audience but we are hearers of the word the book of Nehemiah said that when Ezra read the word of the Lord the people stood and that when Ezra blessed the Lord the people responded amen amen with the lifting of their hands I don't know about you but when the word of God goes forth I want there to be an amen in my spirit I want there to be an amen in my soul that I say yes to the Lord I say yes to his word I say yes to his promises for in him all of his promises are in him yea and in him amen we need the preaching of the word we need the word of the Lord. If you pray for our nation, if you pray for this world, what we need is men of God and preachers who will preach the whole counsel of God. For it is the preaching of the word that set the captives free. 
There is so much bondage and addiction in our world. There are so many issues that we face. And the Bible says that the closer we get to the coming of the Son of Man, the sooner that He comes back, the closer we get to that day, the darkness will only grow. But in the midst of the darkness, Jesus told His disciples, if you continue in My Word, you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. What God gives you, no man can take from you. The liberty that comes from the truth is a liberty that no man can bind. It's a peace that passes all understanding. It's a joy that only comes from the Holy Ghost. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. When God sent Moses to set his people free from captivity, Moses asked God, he said, Lord, who do I tell the people is sending me? Because God had often revealed himself to his people by certain names. Up until this point, God had revealed himself as the almighty God, as the everlasting God, as the God who provides, as the God who sees. But in this particular moment, on this occasion, here God simply told Moses, he said, Moses, you tell the people the I am has sent me unto you. God said, Moses, you want to know who I am? I am that I am. Because he was, the, the, how can you define God? He, he is God all by himself. He is God before the world was formed. He, he was God before time began. He's the God who has no beginning and he has no ending. In the beginning God. In the beginning of what? There, it's beyond our comprehension that he is an infinite God. And so he said, I am that I am. And everything about God that we know has been revealed to us in His Word. It's in His Word that there is revelation of who God is. And so in the beginning God, and in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And it was the Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth and in him in Christ in God in the word was life and that life was the light of men and the light shined into the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not the darkness could not overtake it the darkness could not understand it it could not conquer it it could not defeat it the darkness could not even comprehend the light the light shined into the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Amen, amen, amen. Is anybody thankful for the word of the Lord? Are you thankful for his truth? Are you thankful for his promises? That the word of the Lord shines into the darkness, and it comprehends it not. It pushes back against darkness. Amen. If the music could come tonight. See, darkness is simply the absence of light. Wherever there is light, there can be no darkness. Wherever the source of light is, there is no darkness there. The only way 
If there's a light, the only way that you can get to darkness is if you distance yourself from the light. If you remove yourself from the light and you pull back from the light, that's the only way that you can find yourself in the darkness. And if you don't want to be in the darkness anymore, all you've got to do is go back to the light. Because wherever the light is, there is no darkness there. For in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. I wonder tonight, is, is there a desire tonight for, for true worship? Is there a desire tonight that, that Lord, it's my desire that I want to be a true worshiper, Lord. I want to worship you in spirit and in truth. It's, it's so much pride that we so often try to come to God on our own terms or we try to come to God out of convenience, but it is the heart of humility that says, Lord, I come to you with reverence. I come to you with an acknowledgement that you alone are God and you alone are worthy and you alone sit high and lift it up I wonder if you would stand with me tonight it's my desire Lord let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight O Lord Lord, uh, worship what it really is about worship is about lordship and so when I'm worshiping God it's a sign of surrender. I'm saying, Lord, I bow myself before you and I acknowledge that you are the Lord over everything, every part of my life, not some parts of my life. You're the Lord over every part of my life. You're the Lord over my heart, over my emotions, my desires. You're the Lord over my mind, my thoughts. You're the Lord over my finances. You're the Lord over my future. Lord, you hold everything in your hands, and and I I surrender everything to you. That's what true worship is all about. It says, Lord, I'm not coming to you in the flesh, but I come to you in the spirit. I don't come to you on the terms of this world, but I come to you in truth. I come to you, Lord, saying you are my everything. I love you, Lord. I love your presence. I love your spirit. I love your truth. I wonder, is there anybody tonight that would want to join me at this altar? Maybe you want to reconsecrate your heart to the Lord. Lord, it's my desire to worship you.